0: time with God every day every day every day I will spend time with God I will pray I will pray 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 I will pray I will be holy I will be holy 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 I will be I will be holy I will fulfill God's purpose for me and my generation my generation my generation I will fulfill God's purpose God's purpose for my generation for me and my generation my generation I will live the vow. lion witch in the wardrobe there's a great moment. And in this great moment is where Lucy, you know who Lucy is? Lucy's the little girl. She's the littlest one. She's small. She's tiny. And she's talking to a beaver, which isn't normal. But in the story by C.S. Lewis, she's talking to a beaver, and she talks to the beaver about Aslan. Aslan is a lion. He's symbolic of God. And she has just come through the wardrobe. She's entered into this new world. Remember, it's the world where the white witch reigns. It's where the white ri- witch is currently in control. It's where the white witch is hurting and destroying all the people. But yet there's a hope of the return of Aslan. Aslan is the lion. And Mr. Beaver is telling little Lucy about Aslan. And when this conversation goes forward, she begins to ask him specific questions about him. And one of the questions that she says to him, she says, the lion, the great lion, then she says to him, let me just read to you. It says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who's anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. And he's the king, I tell you. So sometimes you and I, you're 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25 years old. And I think that right now, many of us have this mentality. You're staring at your journey. You're staring at your next 10, 20, 30 years. And surely you said yes to Jesus. Maybe you said yes to Jesus as a child. Maybe you prayed the prayer, Jesus come into my heart. Maybe it was something in high school, you know at a camp where you said I'm going to follow you God and I gave you my life. But as I've hung out in Christian culture for a while now and done the Christian thing in American culture, one of the things that I found is underneath the surface Lucy's Lucy's question exists. It's this little bit of fear of you can tell me about a powerful lion but tell me is he safe? Will I be okay? Is, are, is everything going to turn out for me? And what what is his role in my life? And obviously, you and I know that this metaphor, this analogy that C.S. Lewis is presenting, it's just a story. This story of Lucy and Aslan. But I'll tell you, many of you have that question in your heart. Let me weigh the options and find out: Are you going to take care of me? Will you take care of my business? Will you take care of my family? Will you take care of my mother-in-law? Will you take care of my wife? Will you take care of my children? Will things be better for me if I go with you? And yet Jesus doesn't answer any of those questions. Jesus just says, follow me. And when Jesus talked to the disciples, he didn't look at them and say, please let me plead with you. Let me tell you that your life, your status in life will get better if you come with me. No, no bedrock in in his request, in his invitation to follow was not the way it will go for you in terms of outward circumstance. It was just this. It was a rabbi. It was a man. It was God in the flesh walking by who he in himself was a reward. And he said, follow me. And you make the decision if you want to follow In a sense, you're going to take a risk on if you're going to give everything to follow him. But when you come to follow him, there's not the promise that everything's going to be wonderful and cute and good. Jesus didn't look at him and give him a sales pitch. He didn't say, if you follow me, well, let me tell you, boys, your names are going to be written on the foundation stones of the eternal city. You're going to get to see Moses and Elijah in Matthew chapter 17. You know what? It's going to go well. Peter, you're going to walk on water. Not for very long, but it's going to be fun. just this. It's your choice. You follow me. Come after me. And I'm not going to tell you what the future holds. I'm not going to promise you that things are going to go well for you. But am I enough for you? Just me. Who knows what tomorrow holds? When God calls Abraham, he just says, just go, Genesis 12. He doesn't say anything other than, hey, I'll tell you the place. I'll I'll lead you to a place. And he just says, you, go to the place that I'm going to lead you. And I, God, am I enough for you? Am I enough? You know, when God leads the Israelites out of Egypt, imagine you're going Into the wilderness. And all you have is God. And a crazy man with a staff. Leading you. And he's going to be the one that sustains me in a wilderness. He's going to be my bread. He's going to be my fire by night. He's going to give water from a rock. But everything that sustains me is a person. It's God. And and we would laugh at a conversation of the disciples saying, Jesus, tell me, will things go okay for me? But in reality, you and I know that that's what many of us do all the time every day. Weigh the options. If I give in to total, 100% trusting Jesus well, what am I going to miss out on? What temporal pleasures will I not receive? Tonight I want to encourage you that the opportunity to stare at tomorrow And have Jesus be your only hope is your greatest privilege. Your greatest privilege is actually to look into the days ahead. And not look at them in terms of how can I get enough money in the bank account? How can I take care of myself? How can I sustain myself? But to actually enter into what, say, the disciples or, say, Abraham did. Where they say, I don't know. I don't know what tomorrow has. All I know is that I am going to trust and depend and hope in a person. In God. He's my tomorrow. He's my hope. First Samuel 14, if you're there, let me just read this story because it's a kind of a crazy story. First Samuel 14, verse 1. Let me just read it. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing the armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migran. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was a son of Ichabod's brother, Ehitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sina. One cliff stood on the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Giba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of the uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. So a little bit earlier in the story, it's promised that God wants to defeat these people. And Jonathan here sneaks out. And he says to his armor bearer, hey, let's go, you and me. Come on, man. Let's go take him. We can, we can do it. We know that this is the promise of God. And here is this kind of unbridled risk. This phrase, this word. Jonathan, staring at an army, talking to his armor bearer, and he's speaking of God, and he says, Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Aye, 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 aye. Can you imagine? Imagine Jonathan not necessarily measuring all the options, but saying, Perhaps, perhaps, we'll see. Who knows? The Lord may, be, may act in our behalf. If not, we die. Now, I know sometimes we look at these Old Testament stories and we go, I, 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 I don't know how to apply that to my life. I'm not saying that you necessarily go before a firing squad and say, perhaps. It doesn't break down the exact same. But there is a biblical principle right here where there is a tenacity in Jonathan that I want us to look at tonight. And it's this. It says, you know, what? I'm confident that this is the promise of God. And let me move forward and take a risk. And let's just see if God doesn't act on our behalf. Let's just see. And what I'm convinced is that as you're in the furnace, each one of you are leaders. And you're not right now. You're not in a a phase where we're just trying to tell you to take it safe. No, the very nature of you coming here is that you, in a sense, even already took a risk to be here. And I want to encourage you. That your days ahead, the next weeks and months and years, there's going to be a temptation to pull back and just enter into safety. But you didn't come to the furnace just so you could find your spouse, get a a car and a minivan and live in Briargate and stay in Colorado all of your life. No, you came here because there was something inside of you that said, I I want Jesus with all my heart. I want to take a risk. I'll leave wherever I came from to be here. I want to pray. I want to be around other people that are that way. And you, that was the smallest of the risks that are yet in front of you. When Jesus is going to v- invite each one of you onto a track, onto a, a pathway, onto a journey that makes leaving everything to come to Colorado Spring look like child's play. Look so small. Because let me tell you something. I'm not necessarily saying that it's geographic. You may live, you may live here the rest of your life, but I'll tell you this. You're, you, God is inviting each one of you to take risks on an ongoing basis where you consistently say, You're my daily bread. You're my fire by night. You're my hope. I left everything to follow you. And what? I, I don't know. It looks like, Oh, he's, he's going to be crucified. Oh, no. Oh, he's coming back. All right. Now he wants me to proclaim it. Okay. And now I lose my life. That's the apostle's life. It was constant risks. It was constant good days and bad days. And let me tell you something. As you move forward in the things of God, He's going to invite you more and more often to take risks. And things won't always be certain. But there's a privilege of living with uncertainty. There's a privilege of being Peter and jumping out of the boat and not knowing necessarily. If I should, you know, stay in the boat... Things easy. And you're gonna have so many pathways where you have two doors. The easy way, the difficult way. And most of the time, the man or woman of God like you is invited by Jesus to leave everything, to go countercultural, to not put trust in. Chariots or horses or in our world, bank accounts, property, cars, but to trust him. That's hard for us. It goes against our culture. In our our culture, you want to create a little life plan, a map. I'm going to go here, I'm going to get this degree, I'm going to marry that person. Unless they say no, then I'll marry that person. And then I'll go here, and then I'll do this. And by age 25, I'll have this. And by 40, I'll do this. And, 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 and all of us, if we could just see that life map, we're kind of trying to create it even now. You create it in your brain. You may not necessarily write it on a piece of paper, but in your brain, you're trying to always create it. And if things don't work out like you thought, you always try to create a new map. Well, here's my new plan. Here's my new map. Here's my new plan. Here's what I'm going to do now. When Jesus invited his followers to come with him, he didn't give them a map. He just gave them a direction. You don't get a map when you follow Jesus. You just get a compass. All right, here we go. Now we're Lord. Oh, wow. That's, that's what you get. When we said yes to follow Jesus, you know, I, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if it said, I'm going to marionada, and then I'm going to have... Four kids, and my oldest is going to be an NBA basketball player by faith. And then I'm going to do be a New Life for this long, and then I'm going to do this, and then desperation is going to explode. And, and I, what if I knew it? Woo! That's not been my journey. My journey is now what, God? Okay, now what? All right. Really? Prayer meeting? Okay. All right. Now what? That's your journey. You get a compass. Following Jesus is like a compass. It's just like, where are you telling me to go? You don't. You, you don't. You don't get a map. You're just following a person. You're following a man, and it's risky. It's countercultural. It's just yes. I'll follow. I'll say yes. It's just that phrase over and over again. Here I am. Send me. Yes, Lord. Okay. But if you'll stay faithful in going the direction that Jesus has called you, week after week, month after month, year after year, you place yourself in the position to see miracles. So if you'll just stay in that year after year, day after day, then you put yourself in the position to see God move in a powerful way. But it won't always make sense. I love the story in in John chapter 9 where Jesus, (laughs) Jesus talks to a blind man. The disciples see the blind man and rather than trying to help the blind man, the disciples' mode is to start a theological discussion of how the blind man became blind. That's not Jesus' discussion. Jesus answers their questions, and then he looks at them, and this is a very intriguing moment. Imagine the blind man. He wants systematic, heal me, and instead he gets saliva in the eyes. Jesus spits in the dirt, rubs it in his eyes. That's the moment where you're going, is he nice? Is he a good God? That's a lot of your moment. No, 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 I expected it to be more of the moment where he looks me in the face, smiles big like a father, and boom, I'm healed. Spitting in the dirt and rubbing it in my face was not my expectation. And you know, it's interesting because the blind man actually has to leave Jesus. Jesus has been doing miracles. Jesus has been healing people. And the blind man actually has to go and leave him while he still has spit and mud in his eyes. And Jesus tells him to go wash. But can you imagine, you're leaving Jesus, the miracle man. You're walking away from him, and all he's done for you is spit and rub mud in your face. Surely, this is a compass, not a map. This is just, I'm just going to be obedient to the rabbi from Galilee, who I've heard is healing people, and he's got a lot of followers, and I've heard that he's good, and and I I don't really see it yet. Up to this point, I I can't, maybe he's making fun of me. I'm a blind man. He just rubs spit and mud in my face. I'm a little bit irritated. If I were to write out how I expected this to go, it would not have been to get spit and mud in my face. He leaves Jesus with spit and mud in his eyes, gets to the water, and once he's obedient in that degree, he's healed. It's not like anything else. Up to this point, we haven't seen Jesus spitting on people. That's not the way he's doing it. Undoubtedly, he expected it to be a celebration. Hey, John 2, he did some water into wine. You know, maybe there's a party going on. Maybe just speak the word and I know that it's done. That's another way that I've seen it happening. Surely there's not my miracle in this bizarre set of circumstances. Surely me walking away from Jesus isn't the plan with mud on my face. Big disgrace. Right? Surely not. But when he's obedient to Jesus, okay, I trust you. I don't have a map. I'll just do it the way you say. And I'll walk away from the rabbi who's doing miracles. I'll accept the spit on my face, the mud on my eyes, and I'll just do the next thing he told me to do. And faithful, 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 boom, Miracle. Most of us, though, it's hard to stay faithful long enough to see the miracles. Most of the miracles, though, that I've seen take a lot of time. Take a lot of time. When I look at guys like Lou Engle, it seems like, boom, thousands of people praying and fasting. Yet for 20 years, he's leading prayer meetings with three people in Mod Auditorium. It's a lot of faithfulness to, boom, have a miracle. And your call, your role, like an ox, stay faithful, be obedient, no matter what, no matter what happens. Daniel and the lion's den, same thing. We know the story of Daniel with the lions because that's what makes the headlines. But the big part of the the Daniel story, day after day after day, three times a day, praying, Stay the course. And it's only, I mean, and who'd have thought that the miracle would be when they say, hey, if you keep praying three times a day, we'll kill you. That's not when you go, that here, my miracle. Today's the day. That's when you go, oh dear God, where are you? And that's the moment where God does a miracle. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, same thing. Bow down or you die. Really? Bow down or you die. You know what I find so interesting about their response? Listen to this. It says Daniel 3.16. says, we will not bow down. Our God will rescue us. But even if he does not. <laughs> are we weighing the options here? Or are we just being obedient no matter what? Wait a minute. I thought if I came to Jesus, my life became safe, easy, rich, and I have a great spouse. Woohoo! No. It's not the American dream. It's not equivalent. You just say yes. You just follow. You stay steady for years and years. You'll put yourself in the position to receive a miracle. You'll put yourself in a position where God will lean over the balcony of heaven and go, I just delight in that young man who's staying the course so much. I'm delighted. but it may take a long time. Probably will. Took a hundred years for Noah. Just steady building the old ark for a hundred years. That's a long time to build a boat. One word from God, build the boat, a hundred years. I'm convinced that so many of us have gotten into a culture where we expect everything to go our way and everything to become easy, that very easily we go the way of disobedience. We go the opposite way of where the Lord's calling us because we expected the road to be easier. We expected the narrow road to be as comfortable as the broad road, and it's just not. The narrow way is narrow, the broad road leads to destruction. The broad road is easy for a reason. There's a reason why many people follow it. It's because it's easy. And the narrow way is not easy. In Joshua 3, this last story. It's a story where they're taking the ark across the water. And they don't see the miracle until what? Until they step in. Until they put their foot in the water. Same for you. Same for me. Same for us. David, why are you talking about this tonight? I'm talking about this because realistically, today, if you're going to be a leader, and I'm, I mean, I'm not talking like smiley, you know, nice guy, Christian talk. I'm talking about if we're really going to forge leaders here, if you're really going to be 10, 20, 30 years a leader in the body of Christ, in the world today, you've got to lock in and know this in your heart. Because, hear me, in this world, you will have trouble. You've got to lock in with, he's my reward. He's the reason why I'm doing this. And there's going to be much uncertainty. It's going to be much risk-taking. And the narrow way of Jesus is going to require many... What feels like risks, but ultimately it's just faith in a person. Many times. Many times. Not like, hey, I did it that one time. No. And the next time. And the next time. And the next time. Over and over and over again. You're risk takers. You're Joshua's. Noah's Jonathan's hey we could take that city perhaps perhaps the Lord will reveal and him tell himself to us and we'll see it who knows what God will do you know it is the promise that there's going to be a great multitude of every tongue tribe and nation that no one could count let's go perhaps the Lord is with us we shall see but what if something bad happens to me is this about you or is this about him? And that's our journey. That's our journey over and over and over again. Our temptation is to look at our parents. Have a nice house. Convenient life. And go, if I follow Jesus, that's my reward. The answer is No. We don't know what our economy or our nation has in front of us. We don't know what world wars will be fought in our lifetime. We don't know. But let's not mix up the American dream with Jesus. We gave our lives to a man. His name's Jesus. He will return. He offered us the narrow way. The broad way will be tempting. Many will give in. Many. But this is the great hall of men and women of faith that take risks. They say, come on, armor bearer. Who knows? God may be with us. This is the tribe that says, I'm going to get out of the boat. This is the tribe that says, I'm not living for safety. I'm following hard after God. And that means risk. That means you over and over and over again. Jesus says, come this way. And we don't go. Will I have the security there that I have here? He doesn't respond. But if I leave everything, what will happen to this business, this family, this? No, you just come. And the great thing is, is whether it's in this life or the next, the people that follow sit with him on his throne. Ephesians 2, we're seated with him in heavenly places. It may be a narrow way for a while. But oh, the glorious moment where you look back and you go, if I could redo this, seeing what I see now, I would have taken more risks. I would have walked by more faith. I would have not trusted on my own. You're all peewee brains as smart as you are next to Jesus. And Jesus' ability to lead you is way stronger than the enemy's ability to deceive you. He's a good leader. You can trust him. You don't trust him because he's already pre-said, here's the way everything's gonna go for you. You trust him because he is God and he invited you to follow him. And he's worthy and he's worth it all. So we go. Amen? I wanna encourage you guys, take more risks. Next five, ten years. I'm not talking about like, hey... <laughs> Go apply for more jobs tomorrow. I mean, that's cool. But I'm talking the the next 5, 10, 15 years. 5, 10, 15 years. Take the risk. The Jesus risk. Walk by faith. If he's led you and you really said to do something great, go get that education that's necessary. If he's leading you to something that seems extravagant, it, if it's extravagant, it's going to take a ton of work. That's your joy. That's your privilege. Following Jesus is work. It just is. Jesus said it in John 17. He's like, Father, I've finished the work that you've called me to do. Jesus, work. Shouldn't you use a blissful, sloppy, wet kiss language? No, Jesus says it's Work. And realistically, Christ followers that a decade from now are living out their calling, you will be the hardest workers on the planet. Not I came to Jesus and everything became easy. I came to Jesus. I got a vision of a man seated on a throne that wants to redeem the planet. And I decided he's worth every minute. He's worth working hard for. So that when I finish my journey, I have finished the work. I've labored, I've toiled, all for you. I lay this crown down at your feet. It's not mine, but I've worked my tail off for the kingdom. (laughs) Because you're worthy. Not because I'm awesome, but because you're awesome. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for Local Churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.